What is the price of the clothes and the food that we eat every day? Do we consider the impact each garment or chocolate bar we consume, where it came from, and how did it get to be in the store for such a low price? And what is the cost of this environmentally, socially, and who is at the end of this chain? During our documentary series on modern slavery, food and fashion fail, reporters Michelle Michaels, Jodie Sidney, delve deeper into the costs on people, all for the price of a cheap t-shirt and a chocolate bar. So I'm second generation descendant and my mother's father was brought to Australia. He was kidnapped off the island of Vanuatu here as a part of um, you know, a black burning trade, a slave trade uh, of the Pacific uh, to cut sugarcane and he was taken up to far north Queensland. And that's Imelda Davis, part of the ASI group in Australia, the Australian South Sea Islanders. Modern slavery reveals itself in many ways and in many industries. Throughout the world and the advent of trade from faraway lands into different countries has always included slave trade. 2015 saw the UK embed their Modern Slavery Act. 2018 saw Australia embed theirs. And the conversation around modern slavery and our involvement and contribution are never more apparent. This series highlights modern slavery in our food and fashion industries and how even if this is unacknowledged, what we can do as consumers to be better at purchasing and understanding our part in human rights abuses. We've done a lot of work around raising the conversation specifically for being acknowledged as Australian South Sea Islanders in this country and, and being recognised as a cultural group. Your background and how your family came to this country, can you give me a little bit of the, the story there? So I'm second generation descendant and my mother's father was brought to Australia. He was kidnapped off the island of Vanuatu and he was here as a part of um, you know, a black burning trade, a slave trade uh, of the Pacific uh, to cut sugarcane and he was taken up to far north Queensland. And my grandmother's mother, because my grandmother was born on a plantation in Maryborough, far north Queensland, or no, is it southeast or something like that? Yeah. But either way, she was um, born on a plantation, Irrawarra plantation in, in um, Maryborough, and her mother, Sarah Bookie Tall, was taken from what was called then Ober Island. And she was only a young girl when she was brought across as a as a housemaid or servant. So we haven't been able to trace or pinpoint both those sides of the family effectively, but that's how they came to be. So my mother's first generation born and I'm second generation born into this particular slave trade or indentured labour trade as they like to smooth it over us. But yeah. <laughs> When you were growing up, did, was this something that was discussed within the within your house or with your in your community that this is how your family was brought into Australia, or was it sort of a bit of a dark secret? 
no, there's no dark secret because it was evident that, you know, um, oppression for First Nations people as well as our people, it was rife, it was a reality and people were proud. Our people have been advocating for recognition since 1903, since the White Australia policy came in in 1901. So the first South Sea Islander organisation or Pacific Island organisation was formed in Mackay, Queensland in 1903 to advocate for those that have been here for some 40 odd years to stay because they're displaced, they're born into this country, uh, they've formed families within yep. the trade, you know, they have a, a right to, to, to live and, and stay with their families. So this advocacy work, most South Sea Islander families or Australian South Sea Islander families are born into what you call activism, but it's, um, you know, the right to live and, and advocate for social justice for our people. So um, it's been a really, well, it's lived experience, isn't it? Modern slavery never existed in this country. This was a comment that was exclaimed by our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, back in June 2020. This is a belief that should not even be up for debate. Modern slavery in Australia has established many industries that have built this country up to where it is now. The cotton, sugar and pearling industries have been notorious for black burning. The enslavement of coloured people from our Indigenous population and our brothers and sisters from the South Sea Islands, from the Polynesia and the Polynesian Triangle. You're con continuously living in a state of having to prove and establish yourselves and there probably has never been an ease yet that there's still no you know resolution to any of that history there's never been a real definitive moment in our australian history where we've said oh okay yeah i mean you know as is for first nations australians the struggles are very similar if not yeah. the same and um you know, we hear the rhetoric of apology, not apo not even an apology, but, you know, acknowledgement of this in the 1994 Commonwealth recognition. Furthermore, the 2013, or oh, 2000 for Queensland recognition and New South Wales 2013, but it's like this, this constant, you know, um, knocking at the door to yet get another minister's attention and yet brief them on the same history. It's like a one-trick pony, you know, it's, um, the level of, um, or the lack of understanding within our ministers or parliament, yeah. it's just an endless cycle of just re-educating people, whereas it should be, you know, um, mandatory from primary school onwards about, you know, how this country was born. And it's not just about the Brits coming here and establishing economy. Clear the land, they had to do that with First Nations and Australia and South Island, the peoples, before you can even get the right for whites to work in this country. So that's, um, mm. you know, a constant narrative for us. Yes. Um, but, you know, it's a shared history. So Australia needs to share and own its warts and all. And yep. then we can as a as a collective. When we talk about, in particular, the blackburning issue in this country, and and bringing over or stealing people from their countries or from their homes or from their beaches to bring them into yeah. 
this country to create industry and to um, you know prosper off of the backs of regular people that have the same core values of living with their families, having a mm. beautiful life, all of these things that we share. This is uh, quite unacceptable to think that um, that narrative isn't discussed or, or acknowledged. And chronologically, the history of the Australian South Sea Islanders story in this country and the birth of the sugar industry in this country is in 1790. New South Wales was established and so too was a food trade in salted pork to Tahiti. Pacific West 122 indentured Australian South Sea Islanders from the Loyalty Islands, now included in New Caledonia, and New Hebrides, Vanuatu, were brought to Eden in New South Wales by the entrepreneur Bob Boyd. 1863. The first 67 South Sea Islanders arrived in Brisbane to work on Robertson Plantation, Townsvale on the Logan River. They were the first of 62,000 contracted labourers brought in a variety of circumstances, from kidnapping to voluntary enlistment to work in the Queensland pastoral, maritime and sugar industries. There was thought to be around 50,000 people brought in through the years of 1863 to 1904. 95% were males aged in their teens to mid-30s. 1901. There were 9,327 Australian South Sea Islanders in Australia, spread from the Torres Strait to the Tweed District in northern New South Wales. Many people have come forth standing up and challenging the systems that have enabled the ASI and Indigenous people of Australia to not only be recognised for their contributions to our country, but still fight today to ensure that others do not fall victim to the same problems in our current labour trade systems. This work is ongoing and unfortunately this is still a story that is told in this country, but in many countries worldwide. Lauren O'Neillis from Food is Power talks further about the chocolate industry and the power that a multi-billion dollar industry has on those who farm, produce and create our sweet treats. Well, the chocolate industry um, that, that we are most familiar with that's part of the problem is in Western Africa and more recently Brazil. And they are responsible for not only child labor, but slavery to some extent, where you have children who are working in deplorable conditions. They are sometimes locked in at night. If they don't work fast enough, they're beaten. They should be able to go to school, but they're not going to school. And some of the worst countries um, that have this problem are the Ivory Coast and Ghana. Sugarcane from the Dominican Republic, Brazil, Myanmar and Pakistan. Coffee and cocoa from the Cote d'Ivory, Colombia and Nigeria. Nuts from Peru and Bolivia. Corn from Bolivia. Sunflowers from Myanmar. 
prawns from Thailand and Myanmar. And the list goes on. 60 to 70% of the world's cacao comes from Western Africa. Again, what they're doing is they're not paying um, enough for the farmers to make a, a, having a living wage, for lack of a better term. So it's really comes down to the corporations pushing for a lower price point on the raw product that actually keeps enslaving people to be working in these conditions. As far as we're concerned, the burden absolutely relies on these corporations. They are the ones profiting millions of dollars off of um, you know, the backs of adults and children and to some extent slaves as well. And they're the ones who could, who really and truly wanted to solve this problem could just start by asking the farmers what it is that they need in order to make a profit so that they and their families can live and thrive and they didn't have to rely on children or enslaving others. So they, they bear the burden of responsibility. Is this not just a historical situation that keeps playing out though i mean i'm and i'm interested to hear your perspective on this because you've done a lot of work in this area is it an education piece that needs to be dropped or, or does there need to be more corporate responsibility Abs there absolutely needs to be corporate responsibility um, corporations at this point are giving lip service to the crisis that's taking place by relying on certification instead of going to the root of the problem and the poverty that they're creating of the farmers themselves. And that's the step they haven't done yet. And I do not believe anything's gonna be solved until they actually look to what's, what's best for the farmers and their families. I had a conversation with Massive Chocolate Corporation. Most of the conversation definitely steered towards the projects that they're incorporating into their corporate responsibility. One of such is creating schools to educate children in these areas, especially in the Ivory Coast. Also educating the farmers on how best to get the most amount of yield from their crops. I kind of see it and I think, okay, it seems a bit disingenuous. They're making massive amounts of profit. Australian revenue in a, is $2.9 billion for recorded for 2018. I think that from my perspective, it looks like they could be doing a lot more than they're doing, putting more money back into that as opposed to schools. Absolutely. I mean, there was a documentary that came out called Shady Chocolate that shows basically that these alleged schools that they're building are not being built. And at the end of the day, the real, the real issue is why these corporations are choosing to decide what the farmers need instead of asking the farmers directly what it is that they need and how can they get them there. That these corporations are making these decisions instead of just paying the people what they absolutely deserve, which is what these corporations are making millions off of. These corporations would rather talk to Western certifiers instead of talking to the farmers themselves. And they are indeed taking what is a, a natural product and stealing it basically for little to nothing and making millions off of it, if not billions. For every person who purchases a chocolate product, wherever you are in the world, there is some form of modern slavery in that supply chain, regardless of 
whether it's organic this or whatever it seems that those massive chocolate markets have been tainted is am i am i correct in thinking that or is there actual fair trade chocolate out there that we can access well, our organization does not go based on any of the certifications because many of them have been found to be problematic. Lauren from Food is Power started her organization after realizing that when she ate a chocolate bar, many people's lives were being affected through the choices she made. Conscious consumption and understanding how and where our food comes from, our yummy chocolate bars, and the effect our unconscious choices make on others' well-being and lives is unparalleled in such massive industries like the chocolate, coffee, tea and sugar industries. What we do instead is we go based on country of origin. If, you know, we don't recommend chocolate that comes from areas where slavery and the child labor is most prevalent, and that's going to be um, currently it's Western Africa and Brazil. Whilst Lauren is sceptical about the certification process, which we all should be, certifications do have a role to play in the greater understanding and sharing of knowledge in paying living wages, assisting villagers and their people, and assisting them in becoming more empowered in understanding and knowing their rights. So the other locations that we do recommend chocolate from, we're doing so because it, it hasn't been so prevalent that everybody's finding slavery and child labor. Are we not just exacerbating the problem though of, of slavery? And this is quite a sort of broad question, but if we, as consumers, if we pull back and we say, okay, we're not going to, for example, we're not gonna buy any that was Lauren O'Neillis from Food is Power and Imelda Davis from the ASSI organisation, Australian South Sea Islanders Port Jackson. More to follow in this series on modern slavery, food and fashion fail. Stay tuned. Thank you to Jody Sydney for Modern Slavery, Food and Fashion Fail. That's part four, episode one. And we'd also like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation of Australia for funding this series. Yeah.